Good afternoon. I'm hungry. I'm thinking about lunch. It's my favorite meal in the middle of the day. So my grandmother, she would have a full big meal at 12 when I usually have lunch. She would eat her dinner. The name of the meal is called middag, which directly translates into midday. So pea soup and some dried jerky or maybe pancakes or potato dumplings called kumla, which is quite a heavy thing. It's basically just grinded up potatoes boiled with salted meat. My name is Lars Grønnestad. I live in Bergen, uh, the west coast of Norway, and I work in tech transfer, making research into products and services. And to this day, in my hometown, you can only get kumla fresh from the stores, ready to eat at Thursdays. Kumla torsdag. Garnish with it. Rutebaga. They have that with kumla. It's a root vegetable. It's the size of a small football. And it's orange. It has a thick layer, so you have to peel it outside, but then you have to chop it into smaller pieces and you boil it. So funny thing, my little brother went to exchange in the US and he asked if they had any. And they were like, rutabaga, we don't feed that to the horses. You can't eat it. It's, it's not he was like, yes, you can. But you have that with kumla. Rutabaga, is it? No, but... What is it in, in, in uh, European English, if you will, or Irish? Is it called a Swede? Maybe even a Sweden as well. I'm Regan Hutchins, and I once made a radio series, Morning, Noon and Night. I wanted to travel slowly through the waking and sleeping hours, everyday actions, a walk to school, an afternoon nap, a night prayer. I wondered what our daily routines might say about our worldview. It was broadcast in the early spring of 2020, and in the weeks that immediately followed the broadcast, our mornings, noons and nights became strange lands for most of us. In one episode, Noon, I said how disappointed I was that lunch, my favourite meal, was usually taken at my desk in front of my screen. Well, within weeks of that broadcast, as my partner was learning how to teach his classes online and all of my recording work was cancelled, Lunchtime became a central moment of the day. We'd set the table. We'd sit at the table. We'd talk over cooked lunches and sometimes there'd be wine. In this new series of Morning, Noon and Night, we'll make time again to pause and think about how we spend our hours. We'll take a snapshot of some aspects of our world as it is now, some familiar, some less so. We'll hear found sound, music, poetry and prose. We'll talk to old friends and we'll make new ones. And this afternoon, we'll walk country roads, escape the Caribbean heat, climb steps in Paris and sit by the river in Dublin. This afternoon, we'll take it easy. We'll take time to think and daydream. And let's begin with a lunch in Mayo 
where the writer Alice Kinsler is thinking about ideas of home and hospitality, writing and motherhood. I visit her for a slow-cooked conversation. So what are, you, what, are you, what are we having for lunch? I'm making um, soccer, which is a, it's a chickpea-based flatbread. Um, we're having chick- chickpeas in three ways. Um, I actually love chickpeas. Thank goodness. <laughs> and then falafel and halloumi and hummus. Do you eat tofu? Yes, lots of it. Yeah. Mm. We're going to get chickens. You're going to what? Get chickens. Um, if, you, if you look out the window over there, you'll see that our neighbours already have chickens. They roam the, the, the gardens and there are just three of them. And then sometimes there's two and then sometimes there's one. And then there's, <laughs> and then there's none for a little while. And then they come back and we're going, do you move the chickens elsewhere? <laughs> so I'm like, are they the same chickens? Are you replenishing the chickens? Is something getting the chickens? <laughs> are you eating? So, um, and what is the question? I don't know. <laughs> the chickens just keep reappearing. You told me that um, you love luring people away from the city to feed them. Do you like providing food? Yeah, I think it's a, it's an act of love and of affection. I've always been quite an affectionate person. I wouldn't be a very social person. I wouldn't have a lot of people in my life, kind of by choice. You know, when people talk about like bad housemates, I am the bad housemate. I'm difficult to live with. I'm unpredictable and blunt. It's different now though, because it's your yeah, home. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, when I invite people and I have friends to stay and stuff, I'm kind of, I'm, I, you know, I want to kind of give it my all and I want it to be a, a, a place that's comfortable and cooking or drinks or a well-made bed that is traditionally reserved for the idea of the mother. Why can't the comfort and love of the classical family belong to a larger circle community no longer is location rooted go on Alice and you can flip it oh, there Way. <laughs> what I'm thinking sometimes when I'm moving things around in the house and shuffling things around the house is um, a writing retreat writing retreats are designed to allow the person to be inspired and comfortable but also to let the rest of the world fall away every room has a desk every room has has bed but then there's all these spots around the house with books and comfortable chairs and it's you could lose someone in the house for several hours and find them curled up with a book I had friends come out a couple of months ago for a few days and um you know people kind of we're dotted around the house writing at different times or we were all in the kitchen cooking together or sitting around reading each other's work in the evenings. And it was just lovely. I think that's a, an environment I'd love my son to grow up in as well. So you've written a memoir called Milk. It's a memoir about being a mother. It is. Milk came about, as all of my books, by accident. <laughs> um, I had just had my son and... Um, I had a very difficult pregnancy and I had a traumatic birth and I had postnatal depression and didn't really realise postnatal depression isn't like normal depression. It is like being a different person. It's like not realising who you are, being placed in a different world, not seeing things properly, also being incredibly sleep deprived. And... I'd always written poetry. Poetry was what I wrote and I couldn't look at it. I couldn't read it. I couldn't write it. I couldn't do metaphors. 
it all felt too beautiful. It felt like lying. I couldn't construct images. I couldn't construct anything. I could only write what came into my head as it came. And so I started to write these fragments. And I was just writing them because there was a part of me that, that needed that outlet. Form didn't seem to have any function anymore. I wanted to just get straight to the point. Window. My son is born during a particularly hot July. Our new eco-friendly house is designed for West Coast winters. We sweat away in futuristic humidity. I become obsessed with water. I sit by the nursery window. When I look out the window by day, I see the mountain, the ivy, the relentlessly blue sky of this summer that will not end. Perfect. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> we were just talking about you. you. We were literally talking about you and you came in the door and said, Mama. Yeah. <laughs> What's the red sauce that you're stirring? Uh, tagine. It's actually the fourth kind of chickpea. <laughs> We've got chickpea bread, tagine, falafel, and all Is there anything I can do to help? No, no, I see. Oh, you can see the chickens. And the light out here is incredible as well. It's something mayo has light like nowhere else does. My grandmother calls it a big sky. I've noticed that before, actually, a big sky. And I love that you get these, like, slate blue mountains and these luminous hills in the, in the middle ground when the sun will catch them. And you can just, it's, it's, it is one of those places that you can see all of the seasons, not even in one day, in one panoramic yeah. view. <laughs> And we're eating inside, are we? Or yeah, here? it's just a nice room to eat in, I think. The comfort of eating a home-cooked lunch and spending a lazy afternoon with loved ones are things I cherish about this time of the day. If we're lucky, we get to remember or to forget many ordinary afternoons in a lifetime. My name is Diana Ortiz. I'm a writer based in Dublin. I wrote this piece to remember my grandparents' place in Puerto Rico. They lived in New York for a lifetime, working, working hard and dealing with the winters there and decided to retire back to Puerto Rico when they um, got older. It's a special place. It's vibrant, full of life and very close to nature. In the afternoon, it was always that time when you had the whole rest of day to wind down and relax after whatever you were doing in the morning. And there was something special about the light just then that I wanted to remember with this piece. When they're ripe, mangoes lay where they fall in the undergrowth, among the hiding morivivi, demure but hardy weeds that flinch closed when brushed. The house at the top of the hill, 
white and pink flat-roofed with two stories, a wraparound porch, and hurricane windows, belongs to my grandparents. In the heat, the coolest place is not inside, submitting to the skin-flaying clutches of the plastic-covered couch, but sprawled on the porch in shorts, cheek and limbs pressed to the cold tile floor, turning periodically so as not to roast. Overheated, despite the shade, I squint over my book at the view, a carpet of rolling green hills where distant rooftops peek out of the greenery, shyly. When the noon sun finishes beating, the air cools, smelling less like fresh grass and dry paper, but more like chilled, ripe fruit. After a pilgrimage to sleepy Gabarojo for groceries, or an inspection by one of my grandmother's crew of kindly church grannies, I shift and stretch. The light honeys as I sit up with my book, my grandmother humming over the sound of telenovelas, soaked beans making their way to her stout old pots. There's the rhythmic chopping of onions for avichuelas con arroz, and the sizzle of frying pork chops. My grandfather's newspaper rustles. Later, in the soft belly of the afternoon, we stroll in the neighborhood, and maybe a passion fruit is added to our bag of retrieved mangoes. One of my great-aunt's cats or dogs trail loosely in our wake, bored of harassing the pigs and rabbits next door. Or, fresh from the beach, I watch movies with my family, play chess with my father, or make elaborate tied-on doll clothes out of fabric scraps with cousins I've only met twice. Small brown lizards with bubble toes appear and vanish in a sleek flash on the porch walls as we give chase, in the end catching nothing but squirming detached tails that apparently grow back. Dusk brings an agile cloud of bats that swoops past the porch in search of dinner. Bedtime is heralded by Koki frog song. A proper chorus if it rains. Eventually, it's a song taken up by roosters from near and far in stereo until the sun wakes. A collection of golden afternoons is easy to transpose when the light sweetens, when the sun swings around to my side of our apartment building in Dublin. Outside our sitting room, another green hill, dotted with homes, puts me into context. But then, sliding towards dusk, I'm prone to daydreaming of grandparents long gone, of Caribbean countryside neighborhoods remade by hurricanes, places that only exist now when recalled in a certain type of light between roosters and cookie. You and I are walking in Paris at lunchtime. 
Our restaurant is a cheerful place where we go to eat, drink and be merry. You always know the way. I never do. We're walking along a narrow street, public buildings, tower blocks, a few shops. You stop to admire a courtyard. I'm not really paying attention. You know that. I begin to notice something else instead. Two cars have pulled up beside a large white building. Five, six, seven people step out onto the footpath and embrace each other without words. I hear the men backslapping as they hug. I hear small, tight gasps. The street has that muffled sound like when snow has fallen. It's replaced the air. Then I realize the building is a hospital. For a very short time, everything is hushed. A group of teenagers bursts out of a building on our side of the street. A school is breaking for lunch with shouts and laughter. They move in a crowd and push and shove ahead of us in a hurry. You and I move on, past the hospital, past the school. We start climbing steps up to a small park above the street. I'm thinking of the egg mayonnaise, the duck, a glass of champagne maybe to start, an armagnac to finish. I've forgotten all about the hospital and the school. A little boy with a school bag is dragging himself up the steps. The woman with him, possibly his grandmother, is slowing down for him. They're getting in my way. Later, you asked me if I heard what they were saying. I wasn't listening, but you were. The boy, you tell me, was asking where everyone could possibly be going. And his grandmother was quite matter-of-fact. Il y a des gens qui montent. Il y a des gens qui descendent. C'est la vie de l'escalier. There are those who go up. There are those who go down. That's the life of the staircase. Midday and afternoon. Amy Lowell. Swirl of crowded streets. Shock and recoil of traffic. The stock still brick facade of an old church against which the waves of people lurch and withdraw. Flare of sunshine down side streets. Eddies of light in the windows of chemist shops with their blue, gold, purple jars darting colours far into the crowd. Loud bangs and tremors, murmurings out of high windows, 
whirring of machine belts, blurring of horses and motors, a quick spin and shudder of brakes on an electric car and the jar of a church bell knocking against the metal blue of the sky. I am a piece of the town, a bit of blown dust thrust along with the crowd, proud to feel the pavement under me reeling with feet, feet tripping, skipping, lagging, dragging, plodding doggedly or springing up and advancing on firm, elastic insteps. A boy is selling papers. I smell them, clean and new from the press. They are fresh like the air and pungent as tulips and narcissus. The blue sky pales to lemon and great tongues of gold blind the shop windows, putting out their contents in a flood of flame. It's early afternoon. I'm on the boardwalk by the River Liffey in the centre of Dublin. It's a place I rarely visit. Sitting on the north side, I get the sun. The world walks by. Someone might sit beside you. You might start a conversation with them. An unexpected afternoon conversation with a stranger flows slowly like the river we're sitting beside. The city is calm. Bill Goon tells me that his English lesson is over and he likes to spend this time of the day on the boardwalk here. It's close to his school. Bill Goon is from Mongolia. He's in his late twenties. He's slim, a smart dresser, and he has a ready smile. But there's a cloud crossing the sky. Oh, that's nice sun. That's the feeling I always get. Just having your own time. This is the nicest time of my day. This is the nicest time of your day? Yeah. What is it about the boardwalk that you like? I don't know, maybe the memories that I had here, I would say. <laughs> With one person... <laughs> When I met with that person on this spot, I just feel calm and protected. He's so interesting person. And also I'm so interesting person, so it's a good match. Just sitting down on the ground and drinking coffee. What's he doing today? I have no idea, because last three, four months I never connected with him. I don't know, there have been a lot of good times and also there have been a lot of bad times. In Ireland? In Ireland, during these few years experiencing my gay life and gay sexual life, especially 
because of the pandemic, most people just started using drugs because they don't have job, they don't have nothing to do, they wanted to have fun, they just wanted to get away from this pandemic. Some of them started using drugs, and which I did also, especially this strong one, the crystal meth. Crystal meth, methamphetamine, ice, glass, Tina, it has many names. It looks like flakes of salt that smoked in glass pipes, it's snorted, injected or swallowed. It's cheap, it's highly addictive. The good thing about using this drug is it just gives you relief, it just gives you energy that you don't have and you're not shy anymore, do you know what I mean? And all your anxiety, all your depression is gone. It just gives you fake energy and fake hopes. And when you face to the reality, it's the hardest thing. That's why people get addicted, I think, because they just wanted to run away from the reality. Everyone wants to get away from this fucking pandemic. And especially for me, being Asian was kind of difficult. When it started, I experienced so much racism and people spitting on my face with no reason. Even I was walking down in the street, the woman yelling, me, yelling at me like, oh, you fucking coronavirus. They're just saying it without thinking, but it's hurting another person so much because that person is receiving that much hate almost every day constantly few times a day and first few time you just ignore it and the next few time you just started believing what they're saying and you started thinking I'm disgusting which is not cool What is it about your life in Dublin at the moment, this afternoon, that you, that you like, that you're happy with? I started cooking. Last two, three months, I'm just enjoying cooking, which is giving me some kind of relief. That's what people say. You just put some shitty pop music and just <laughs> sing along and dancing, and that's the moment that you can feel joy. Give me an example of your shitty pop music. Oh, I'm so shady, so I just put uh, Taylor Swift music, just playing Shake It Off, which just gives you, you know, a strong feeling, like... Ireland was my dream. And I don't want to give up on this dream, even it's hard. I'm just taking all of this as a test, like, which can make me a stronger person than yesterday.
Bilgoon and I will look for a hot chocolate because there's a chill at the river, despite the sun. In Mayo, Alice Kinsella is clearing food and plates from her table. The afternoon isn't yet over. In the Spanish city of Valencia, a man is selling hats at a large outdoor textile market. He'd love to sell a few more before the day is over. It's 3pm and the bells are ringing and tables are being set for the afternoon drinkers. We have time to drift along the market to find a table for a beer. There's a couple walking in the late afternoon. They walk the same roads at the same time, every day with their two dogs. They're characters in Sarah Baum's latest novel, Seven Steeples. Two artists, Belle and Cy, are paying close attention to their tiny corner of rural Ireland. The evening approaches. There's a world of conflict and chaos. The two artists are presented with the familiar and the unfamiliar, the banal and the strange. We'll join them for a short walk along the road. In a field, an old tin bath had been substituted for a cattle trough, still with its seized and rusted taps attached. In front of a peach-painted bungalow, there were two stone eagles, an ornamental cabbage and a Grecian urn, At a sharp bend in the road, there was a telegraph pole encircled by a clump of creeping ivy so dense that it resembled a tall, hairy figure standing, fidgeting in the breeze. There were rodents in the ditches that darted away as they approached, songbirds that flew up like flares, and tens of thousands of gangling fuchsia branches creaking out hushed conversations. Every evening as they walked... Belle and Sai remarked to each other how strange it was to believe that the hedges had ever been laid by men. They described the small changes since their last walk, a full day ago. A crisp piece of litter, unburied, unbleached. A fresh clump of silage, an unfamiliar pat of shit. A snowdrop, a stone chat, a shattered snail. Every evening as they walked... Bell and Sai repeated themselves extravagantly. Along their road there was a hump of rock that resembled, on approach, a white cat crouching. On a pale slab in a low wall there was a dark stain that formed the silhouette of a rabbit poised on its hind legs. 
There was the corpse of the ornamental cabbage, wrinkled to death by drought. There was an extravagance of meadowsweet. Belle and Sai pointed them out to each other. The familiar things, again. The unfamiliar, anew. If they'd stopped and calculated how far they walked each evening and all the evenings they had walked, they would have found that, by then, they'd be in Ottawa, Ankara. If only they had kept going west, east, instead of repeatedly turning back. Darkness is falling fast on these country paths and soon we'll have a restless night on a bog and write music for the moon. But that's the next time. I'm Regan Hutchins and you've been listening to Morning, Noon and Night. Thanks to all the contributors and to Yvonne Cullen for her readings. Do you remember the longest afternoons? Those endless afternoons, waiting for the school bell to ring. Agony, wasn't it? Perhaps you still experience them. Perhaps you're the teacher, like poor old D.H. Lawrence. Last lesson of the afternoon. D.H. Lawrence. When will the bell ring and end this weariness? How long have they tugged the leash and strained apart my pack of unruly hounds? I cannot start them again on a quarry of knowledge they hate to hunt. I can haul them and urge them no more. No longer now can I endure the brunt of the books that lie out on the desks, a full three score of several insults of blotted pages and scrawl of slovenly work that they have offered me. I am sick, and what on earth is the good of it all? What good to them or me, I cannot see. So shall I take my last dear fuel of life to heap on my soul and kindle my will to a flame that shall consume their dross of indifference and take the toll of their insults and punishment? I will not. I will not waste my soul and my strength for this. What do I care for all that they do amiss? What is the point of this teaching of mine and of this learning of theirs? It all goes down the same abyss. What does it matter to me if they can write a description of a dog or if they can't? What is the point? To us both, it is all my aunt. And yet, I'm supposed to care with all my might. I do not and will not. They won't and they don't and that's all. I shall keep my strength for myself. They can keep theirs as well. Why should we beat our heads against the wall of each other? I shall sit and wait for the bell. <laughs>